Some people ain't yeah, got no hobbies. Yeah. I don't have hobbies. You don't have hobbies. That's the problem, right? You need to pick up a fishing rod, a golf club. What's up, coach? <laughs> How y'all doing? Sorry, I'm a little late. Man. Pleasure. How you doing? Pleasure, Coach Staley ain't got to apologize. Yeah. We on your time. I think this is the first time we've ever had a dog and a guest. Uh -huh. But, I mean, shoot, when you Don Staley, you bring whoever you want to. Believe so. uh -huh. <laughs> that. Champ. Champ. Oh. Yeah, 2017, when we won, I got a dog. Fitting. That is yeah. very fitting. Hold up. Limitless, they can see my car pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. Uh, on the mission, get me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. Uh, only bitching, I can trust. Uh, trust. Uh, limitless, they can see my car pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. Uh, on the mission, get me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. Well, welcome to the pivot. Yeah. This is Channing. Freddie T. Freddy I'm T. RC. Uh -huh. It's an honor to sit with you to give people an opportunity to understand what North Philly <laughs> made Don Staley to go on to Virginia and be Naismith Player of the Year two times, ABL All Star, WNBA All Star, a player coach that's not actually in the same place where she's playing and coaching four gold medals to now be the head coach at the university of South Carolina, two national championships, three-time coach of the year, back-to-back -back, mm -hmm. uh, recently. And so for us, it is uh, truly an honor to sit with you. So just to get right in it, you know, um, I read that you said, you know, you were kind of upper class since you grew up right outside <laughs> of Raymond Rosen Projects in North Philly. And we've heard so much about how you are connected to that city, the ways that you still go back and give. What about being raised there helped you be the person you are today? I said I was upper class because as a whole, there were, in the projects, you have high rises and then you have like row homes. And if you lived in the row homes and not have to deal with whatever happens on floors and elevators and the high rises, you were sitting pretty. I had the luxury of not ever having to live there. My parents lived in high rises. My older siblings lived in high rises, but the younger siblings lived, you know, in the in the burbs, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when you grow up in Philly, it is it's survival. You know, I'm not saying I I'm not saying that I was around like like um, gunshots and all of that. Um, it I know it was there, but I didn't experience that. You know, what I experienced was. Um, sports, like sports, was the was the thing. It, it's the very thing that that you live for. It it didn't even matter that it was organized. It could just be a pickup game anywhere. It could be like a we're playing against a rival neighborhood in in baseball or softball or tackle football. It was that is what kind of drove us to to want to. Just stay on the on a straight and narrow. Your tenacity, your passion, the stuff that honestly it's crazy. We'll talk about it. You get criticized for it sometimes. Uh, <laughs> it was fun. I thought about it when RC said it. Philly made you. But it's a nature-nurture conversation. Like what you have inside of you, that wasn't there when you were born, that was created? I mean, I'm the youngest of five. So everything was a competition. Like to to eat was a competition. To get in the bathroom, because it was one bathroom for seven of us. It was a competition. You know, our neighborhoods created competition. So it was, it's more of like, you know, I, I might have been born being competitive. I might have been, you know, it's innately, you know, in me to be competitive. 
it's just where do you foster that? Where do you where do you find the places to feed that that will have a positive impact on your life? Because mm -hmm. you can, you know, I I never learned this, and I'm glad I didn't learn this at an early age. Is to play craps, like because they play craps, like yeah. like I never learned it. I never learned it, maybe because I never had money to play. <laughs> Can't get but in the game. I never like, like to this day. I don't even know. Like you go to a, you know, you go to a casino and you play craps, and that's your, you got the highest percentage of winning the most on, on the crap table. But I, I didn't learn it. I didn't, I didn't learn that uh, because being as competitive that I am, you know, I probably would have lost a lot. Yeah. I probably would have stole some to go play. So. I, I mean, sports was the thing that really got me into just feeding my my insatiable appetite for for wanting to win. Coach RC tried, and I told myself before we got started that I wouldn't try. I'm usually the guy that gives everybody their flowers when they come on the show, so I was gonna run off your list of accolades. You got too many, so I'm gonna tell all our people just Google her if y'all want to know. She got so many. And um, are you a hoarder? I am. Because I'm like looking around. You like, I enough, am a hoarder. Do you like, have enough trophies? This is insane. We got two rooms. I'm sure it's more. I don't want this at my house, though. Like, I don't have I don't have trophies or anything at my house. No? Yeah, it's all. Everything's here. All right. So going back to <laughs> the coaching days when you when you first started. Um, so you were still actively in the WNBA when you started at Temple. Grinding so you can be your best in the WNBA and also try to give the young ladies your best at Temple. Juggling all that in that process, how, how was that? It was easy, I actually. I mean, when you, I, I got great people. Like, I got people who were like real coaches. I didn't really consider myself a real coach. Um, but just, I think who you hire, who you get in a foxhole with, um, is very, very important. Like, I got people who really balance, you know, what my weaknesses were. I didn't know how to be a coach. I didn't know all the administrative work. Didn't know that. So I, I tried to go get somebody that was a coach. That was, that, that's what they, you know, that's what they've been doing for decades. And then, you know, for me, coaching gave me instant credibility, you know, in recruiting. Because I'm doing the very thing that mm -hmm. the players that we aspire, they want to do. They want to play in the WNBA. So I could get in any door. Doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, land the commitment, right. but I can get in the door. So it allowed me to get in the door. And I just, I've always just, I always see myself as a point guard. Like I, like no matter what, if I'm playing or not, like this game of life, I see myself as a point guard. So I don't really wear the coaching hat like a coach. It's more of just kind of, you know, managing and facilitating and doing what I need to do to, to put people in a good place to, to be successful. I tell you what, I know you get an earful, but whatever champ, Got going on with his ears. Yeah. He's trying to figure it out. He's trying to figure it out. Coach, you know, when you get into coaching and you kind of speak about being able to relate and communicate, you have quotes of saying that you were antisocial, uh, a loner before, and actually saying you never wanted to get into coaching. Uh, Coach Allen at um, Virginia said she knew all along that if she could get you to communicate how you did on the basketball court away from it, that you would be successful and impactful in everything that you'd ever do. You chose Virginia over Penn State because it had space and because you could be free. 
what was that culture shock like going to a place like Charlottesville coming from Philadelphia? I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a neighborhood that was 100% black. And then I go to a predominantly white university. And, and I mean, it, it wasn't culture shock because I, I never dealt with, I never dealt with anybody other than athletes. I kept to myself. Like, I only wanted to play basketball. Just, I, I went to Virginia to play basketball. I didn't go there because it was a prestigious university. I went there because I wanted to be a part of a program that hadn't won a national championship. And then in life, when you have to make a decision, you have non-negotiables. Mm. There are things that you just won't settle. And that's how I recruit. Like, the recruit's gonna find out, you know, they, they have to find what they want and, and let that guide them. Because we could talk, uh, you know, we're in the business of persuading people, and so were coaches back then, just trying to persuade you to come to to their school for this reason, the buildings. The, for me, it was the dorms. That was the non-negotiable. I lived in a household of seven, like seven people, sharing one bathroom, one toilet, you know. And Virginia, Penn State presented the old dorms where you got a roommate, you got to walk down the hall to the bathroom, shower and all that, take your, your, your bucket. And then I went to Virginia. This, you know, that was the only two visits that I took. Virginia had like these suites. You had a roommate <laughs> and you had three other rooms. And then you had a few showers and a few bathrooms and a common area, like space. So I knew then like this is the separator. Because you find, like, they were all saying the same things. They were all wanting me to come and blah, 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 blah. But the separated for me was just that dorm, that newly, it was new. It was less people that I had to deal with. And I didn't know there was such a thing called a germaphobe, but I was probably a germaphobe back then, <laughs> like I am now. But when I, went to, when I went to Virginia, I was just about one thing. It was basketball. Has the two championships here at South Carolina help you wash the taste out of your mouth of the loss to Tennessee when you fouled out in the Final Four, or I think it was Stanford your last year, you, sh you shoot the buzzer beater. Mm -hmm. Is there ever any accomplishment now as a coach that kind of helps you get over those things? Because I can remember the Super Bowl I lost much more than oh, yeah. the game I won. Does coaching and winning now help you kind of distance yourself from those L's? We're like two weeks removed from us losing in the <laughs> Final Four. So, you know, that uh, is, is there. And I, I do think every so often that you need to experience that in order for you to find that, you know, that, that desire. Like, I, I'm recruiting a little bit different because, you know, I want to get back. So, yeah, it took me, like, I got to go back. There are only two times I saw women play when I was growing up in the projects, and that was national championship games, live on television, and gold medals, like at the Olympics. So for all of my life, I just wanted to win a national championship and win a gold medal and be an Olympian. And I didn't get that accomplished at Virginia. Um, was able to get, you know, gold medals a little bit later on in life. So I never thought I would be able to be put in a position to win a, a national championship because I didn't see myself as a coach. But lo and behold, coaching found me. And the first one allowed me to just enjoy it. Like, I selfishly enjoyed it. 
um, because it's something that I really wanted to do, but also look beyond that and just, you know, all the all the former players that I that believed in us winning the national championship, knowing that we probably weren't going to win. Um, it was for them. Like, it was really for them to, to be a part of it. And I actually gave every single one of my former players at Temple and South Carolina a miniature national championship trophy. And the coaches that I, that I coached with because they were just as much as a part of it because it's really the build. It's the people who, who were believing you before you're actually able to win it are the most important people because they believe without, you know, without knowing. And then until you're actually able to win a national championship, you don't know. Like as a coach, you don't know what it takes. So I know I was one of those coaches that when we didn't win, I was recruiting for, for people to come. I didn't know what I didn't know. But now I know. Like when, you, when you've won, you know what it takes. And it takes more than five players or six players. It takes a, a really a commitment by, by probably nine to ten players. Mm. The question I have for you was um, the success you've had on each level, from high school, player of the year, two-time Nate Smith at, VA, at UVA, right? Mm -hmm. WNBA, internationally winning gold medals, as a coach winning gold medals, and here. With that, what has been the, the key to your success? I don't really care about this, that stuff. I really don't. The, the key is just, just, uh, just, to, just to compete is really fulfilling to me. Just to, to navigate through um, how to outfox somebody. Like I get more of a rise out of that than the actual winning part of it. I do think the winning is is for other people. Like I, I wanna win for our players. Like, mm. I mean, I've won pretty much everything that, so it's more of being a dream merchant for my players. Like. I don't want them to hurt. I want them to do it the right way. I want them to, to really understand to take care of our game because we're at a place where it's busting through, it's, through the seams. Mm -hmm. And we have to take care of that. Like, I want to coach players who understand, like, how to, how to navigate, how to continue to um, keep our game in a place where people want more and more and more and more. Like, and not really think about it selfishly, because we all can be selfish and wanting to make a lot of money to, you know, to be the best player um, in the world or be considered that. Um, but there's a way to go about doing it. Yeah, I, I think men's basketball has, a, has an edge on women's basketball to a certain extent. I don't think men's basketball, I don't think they beat each other up as much as we beat each other up as far as with words, mm -hmm. you know, you know, like, Everybody, everybody can eat in our game. Like there's room for everybody to to be successful, and you don't have to choose one over the other. You can appreciate what what they what we all are bringing to the table, and we don't do that. Commentators don't do it, decision makers don't do it, and it's it it hurts our game more than helps our game when we when we choose. I read something when you said there's people in public that are critical of your team, of you, of your yep. style, mm -hmm. and, you, and you're open about it saying you, it's unacceptable. I've heard that, but I haven't heard, what do they say about y'all? What have you heard from the horse's mouth? So I, I did say something after, after we lost in the, um, in the final four. And I, here's the thing, I didn't, I didn't say the media 
the national media that cover our games, I didn't say that they called us thugs and street fighters and bar fight. I didn't say they did that. That was just, I included everything in it. Right. I said, and I'm going to clear up because a lot of people don't understand. I said they were over here, they were overheard talking about our team in a way that they should not have mm-hmm. and choosing sides. And when you're in public and you're choosing a side and you are the national sports writer for our for our team and you're overheard, you know, that that narrative we already see in your writings. So to hear it, you know, is is hurtful. Okay. And then like fan bases and people who really don't watch us play, they they've called us thugs and street fighters and coons and all of that. And I, I don't think people really like the fact that, um, you know, a predominantly black team or a black coach uh, is at the top of women's basketball. I don't. I don't think decision makers are used to it. I don't care. Like, I, I really don't care. I, 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 I serve as young people. I care most when you hurt my, my young people that I have to deal with every day because I don't have some of the answers that, that they want to hear besides this is the way it is, we're going to have to navigate through this, and you're going to have to figure it out because it's not changing no matter, no matter where you are. And you can get a piece of the, you know, the pie and be successful, but the law of averages that the way sports are, are made up, you know, and the, the microcosm of how this world is made up, it, it doesn't favor us. We, we can get a small piece of it, but that's not what they want to see. It's not what they want to see. I'm called the race baiter and all of that. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you my vantage point through my eyes, through my eyes. And just as you can refute that or negate it through how you experience life. And I'm, I'm good with that, but don't, let's not call each other names. Let's, let's talk intelligently about what we see and what we feel, because you're not going to change how I see or feel the way that I have to navigate through, through, through sports. I think you're doing a great job. For the most part, these uh, reporters and a lot of media, they've never been in those shoes. And a lot of them never played sports. So they don't understand when you have legendary coaches. You know, Coach Bobby Bowden, he would uh, say, uh, you know, play through the echo of the whistle. Still within the rules, but we're gonna play through the echo of the whistle. And Coach Bill Belichick would say, uh, do business as business is being done. Meaning don't get caught. So everyone, all these coaches, they have their different philosophies. And quite naturally, the players are gonna be a sponge to that. And they're just gonna do it through competing on, on the field. I would say, Coach, and I know I'm not the one to say it now, but I love your style. Mm-hmm. I love everything that your girls have done. And I would say, um, hey, I can say it for you on this tape to the to the reporters, but I won't because we're in your beautiful office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Coach, you- Let me just interrupt. I didn't want to say names. Right. Because I know- I know who it is, mm-hmm. and they know, they know I know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not on me to say who it is. I just put them on notice that I know. So don't don't come back. Don't come back here asking for a story or mm-hmm. covering us in that way because I know how you feel. So unless you want to go out there and say what you did and what you said, if it's a miscommunication or whatever, you you got caught. You just right. got caught with it. And it's okay. It really is okay because we already know. Mm-hmm. 
And when you already know and it's just confirmed because they won't ever confirm what they believe, they'll just continue on like they're continuing on. And I, I let one of those people in, in here and I'm not very trusting. I'm not very a trust. I'm not that. That's why I'm quiet. That's why I'm an introvert. That's why I grew up that way because I'm not very tr trusting of people. But when I let you in, I do feel like I, I feel like a little trust. And, and maybe it was that that really, it didn't really hurt me. It's more of when you when you talk about me, you're talking about, you're talking about my players. Like, you're talking about them. I can handle it. You know, I'm over 50 years old. Ain't nothing anybody can do that's, that's really going to hurt me. I'm from Philly. I'm from North Philly. So <laughs> that's right. not. But when you hurt my players, that's a different story. They, they haven't built up enough to ward against you know, what they're hearing and what their their feelings like. So I have to I have to help them navigate through that. So it it's cool, like, you know, and I'm not race baiting. I'm not I'm I'm good with having com uncomfortable conversations because that's what we need to have. We don't have enough of them. And that's why people have to to work behind the scenes. Like let's let's have a conversation while you feel the way you feel. Whoever that person is, just know this. <laughs> Well, those people, when a black woman knows, and she ain't telling you she knows, but she knows, watch yourself. That's what you better do. Coach, as uh, someone in the media who's often called a race baby, <laughs> uh, I understand. You know, quiet is kept as well, or not so quiet. I went to LSU. Uh, we had an opportunity to sit down with Flage and Angel after they won the national championship, and we addressed a lot of these things. And I think... So many times when you make a statement like you did, people are looking for the overtly racism things like the N-word or different things. And it's the small microaggressions. It's the coded language that is used when covering a Dawn Staley or when covering a University of South Carolina women's basketball team that we all see mm -hmm. and that we understand. And the confirmation actually doesn't need to be had. But when it is, no, I have to address it and react in the way that you did. For you, you beat, in two years consecutively, you beat Gino Oriema, you beat Stanford and Vanderveer, and you beat Kim Mulkey and LSU. Uh, no coach has done that in two consecutive years, and you did. And then there's some poll that comes out that talks about the best X's and O's coaches in women's basketball. And... I know Gino was second, uh, Tara Vanderveer Tara, Tara huh? was first, and Dawn Staley had an honorable mention <laughs> for getting one vote. It's not only in the way that your team is covered or in the way that fan bases react to South Carolina. It's also sometimes in the way people perceive your ability and acumen to coach. You fight for black women and also just women's sports in general. When you see these type of things, how do you feel about those? I feel like, damn, if I'm not a good X and O coach and we're beating who we're beating. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
Who were they? Like, like what? Like, like what are we just? What are we? Are, are people just allowing us to win? Like, is it like coming from above? Like, I, I really don't care. Like, I really don't. Like, that is nothing. Another poll came out to say, you know, several student athletes would, if you couldn't play for your current coach, who would you want to play? They, they said me. Right. Like, I dig that. I do dig that because, you know, that's coming from a young person and, you know, those are coming from adults. That that stat you just pointed out, that poll, they're coming from other coaches and probably media. When you're talking to young people, they 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 see what they see and they feel what they feel. And I dig that more than anything. I'm not out here trying to just pump myself up. Like I don't I hope people understand. I really don't. I don't care. I don't. I don't care about accolades. Now, I. I, w- I would say I'm selfish. I selfishly wanted to be in the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. as a as a player, and I selfishly want to be in the Hall of Fame as a coach. I do want that, but that's not my. That's not my call. It will be. It will be whoever it is that decides to to vote on that. That was. That's probably only two selfish things, and I didn't want to be that as a coach until I got into coaching. Mm. And, and basketball and sports, had, it has a way of just kind of helping you aspire to want to do things when you're in this space. And those are just two things that I, I selfishly want. And, you know, I hope that it happens. But if it doesn't, I'm, I'm good too. Like, my whole life is dedicated to helping young people find their niche in life, no matter what it is. And coach, and you're criticized a lot about how your team plays. Mm. And there's there's racial there's racial underlies there. We know that. But why do why are people so uncomfortable? And I say it, I've heard it. They play like boys. Mm-hmm. How are women supposed to play basketball to make people feel comfortable because if you out there balling to win the national championships, it seems like everybody should play like a damn boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. The the only thing I don't like about it when 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 people make references of us being, you know, overly um, physical, it has a way of determining like how the game is being called. Mm-hmm. It's a narrative that I usually don't address, but I addressed it this past season because I knew as we as we continue down this path of of our our season and going into the NCAA tournament um, that it could burn us. If enough people are saying it, enough coaches are mm-hmm. saying it, then they're going to have to address it. So do I think that it was a part of our national semifinals? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do I think it had the same impact on Iowa in the national championship game? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So for me, and I'm going to bring this up, like why can't we talk about officiating? Like why we can't talk about officiating? Like we had two black uh, female officials in the national championship game. Three, yeah. three females. Did y'all hear a lot about the officiating after the national? No, no. no. Y'all didn't. Well, what are y'all looking at? Because <laughs> there were there were there were articles written. So there were right. articles written written on. Caitlin had fouls early. Big. Yeah. Uh, they're big. Fouled out. Yeah. Uh, Alexis was on the bench early in the game, but I didn't see really very many articles about it. There was a big article in USA Today. Okay. Somebody wrote about it, and then they had a quote from the a coordinator on the men's side about how bad it was. Oh wow. Right. So I look at that and I'm just like, hmm. like a whole article on officiating when we have two black officials, they'll probably never do another 
national championship game because they became one of the stories of the national championship game. Now, I think they should have been a story about the semifinals against, you know, when we played Iowa. But that wasn't brought up. That wasn't brought up. So for, for me, I do think officials, we should be able to talk about the officials. Whether we agree or disagree, and I think officials should be able to talk because it's becoming, it's, they're becoming more part of our, the storyline in our game. And they should be able to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. Like we should be able to talk about them. Without being, without being fined. <laughs> without being fined. I don't even know if I'm going to be fined, yeah. but I think it's part of our game that we need to discuss. And, and it's, it's fair game. If they're going to impact it, it's fair game. They should not be able to just, you know, ride off. You got, you got but when you go back to the national championship game, uh, there is the prism of seeing it, that the fact that there were two African-American female officials. And on the other side of that, those officials were calling a game with Iowa, who Caitlin Clark, who became America's darling, has three fouls in the first half. She gets a technical that I believe she earned. And so obviously when that is the person that everyone is focused on and now officiating affects her and it's two black officials, you know, it makes more sense to me now when you mention that through articles and through conversation that officiating was a huge part of it. Yeah, I, I mean, it is. It, and it becomes, you know, that was a narrative afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because it's two black officials or just bad officiating or what have you, but I know what's going to happen to those officials. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, and I'm going to watch and see if they get, they get a chance to come to the Final Four or do a national championship game. Probably not. Probably not, but I got to look out for them, too. Mm. I got to look out for them, too, because that's, that's the way it is. They're, they may not get another chance, so I'm hoping they do. How do the girls feel? They're basically babies. And how have they responded in hearing all of this? Aaliyah addressed it after the game. She, she thought that coming into the game, she, could not, she wasn't able to, to, to play her game. And it was a psychological advantage throughout the game. And did we play our best game? No, I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, did we, did we do enough to win? We, we had three, three turnovers at a crucial time in the fourth quarter that if we convert, you know, we'd probably win the basketball game. Um, could we play Clark a little bit better? Yes. Could we change strategies and scheme a little bit better? Absolutely. Absolutely. Could have done all of those things. So I, I'm glad that, that our players had the WNBA draft to refocus mm -hmm. and to get them ready for the next phase of their life. And they left, they left me with having to deal with it and trying <laughs> to navigate through it. But, but again, you know, it's our game. Like, you win some, you lose some. And I'm not, you know, I don't know what it is. I don't know, I don't know what it is that's on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. But our downfall and not being able to complete the season was real good for our game. Like, you know, 9.9 .9 people watched the game. It topped off at 13 million. Now, I can look at ourselves like we the sacrificial lambs of, of, of that happening, <laughs> but it's good for our game. And I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm not, I'm a sore loser, but I get it. Like, I get it. Let's, let's bounce back. Sometimes you gotta learn how to lose to, to win again. Mm -hmm. And that's how I'm, I'm gonna look at it. Hey, coach. Talking about the officiating, and um, it happens all the time. Because you boys, 
college basketball boys, NBA, WNBA. Yeah, we lost the Super Bowl because of a call. The Eagles, I'm <laughs> oh, saying. The there Eagles. We go. That one holding? Huh? That was holding? But speaking about that, and Fred made me think about it. With your team, because address uh, me if I'm wrong about it. Huh? I think you recruit tenacious players. I think you go find the girls that, I don't want to say are young Don Staley, yep. but you got to see something in them. You coach that way. You have a culture of that. Huh? You see officiating that they're not letting y'all play that style of game that this organization, this, this team was built around. Uh -huh. Can you coach out of that? Because them girls are sitting there looking at you at halftime. Mm. Why the hell does everybody have fouls, coach? What, what do you do in that situation? Because you've told them that from the day they stepped on this campus. Yeah, well, here's the thing. You know, I like to go on long walks, and I went on a long walk Friday morning. Like, of the set. Yeah, I did. I did. Officiating was on my mind. Like, it was. It was like, we we got to get the right officials. They got to call the right. They got to call the game. They got to call the game as they called the game all season long. All season long. And if they can do that, then we're good. But... I am thinking about, like, they are a part of our game, and you have to game plan for officiating. So, yes, do I tell my team, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they're calling and how they're calling. We just have to focus on what we can control. You have to mention that. And then I, I, don't, I don't mention that to them at all. Now, I will say some things during the game that what I'm seeing, and I did say that during the game. I'm like, this is, you know, this is not right, like, Seriously, this is not right. And they give you the looks, and and then I know it's not working, so I set my butt down, and I'm going to put my <laughs> put my focus into the game, like to our team and how to strategize against that. Um, so do I recruit? I, I recruit who is magnetic to my eyes. They don't all come like like these physical specimens. We, we coach them up to be that way. Like, we have to defend the way we defend because we never know when our offense is not going to show up. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, we're tough defenders. We're physical. We can take it as well. We can take it as well, but we can't take it if we have to succumb to things that we can't dish out. Like, Aaliyah Boston got beat down. Yeah. Like beat down, she wasn't able to. She wasn't able to move like she normally moves. She's getting hit, and she could take that too. But when you call two but fouls then she's on, on her, the bench. yeah, when you call two fouls on her, our defense takes a hit big time. This is national defensive player of the year, and our whole strategy behind that, you know, we Caitlin was gonna get off. Mm -hmm. You know, is uh, Sanano. Was the, was the key for us. They're big. Like, we wanted to take away the amount of points that she scores in the paint. Mm -hmm. Do I think is a better defender when she's in that situation than what we had? Yes, I do, because she's smarter. She's been in that situation. She knew exactly how we wanted to play, but she wasn't on the floor to, to stop that. So um, it's our loss. And again, you know, whoever's going to watch this, I'm just talking about how we how we approach the game, strategizing during the game and doing the things that we can do to, to win the game. It's, it's part of just decompressing and figuring out how you move forward. Um, so, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. We got to continue to be who we are. Like, I'm not changing the way I coach because of officiating. I can't do that. I don't know another way to do that. 
Same thing you did your whole yeah. life. That's it. You, you take your lemons and make lemonade. I'm just going to have to try to beat them at their game. So wh whatever that is, you got to get ahead of it. Coach, you mentioned that the young ladies of your team this year got an opportunity to kind of reset and go into the WNBA draft, which y'all absolutely dominated. And they were fly <laughs> that night as well. That is an historic recruiting class for you and what they were able to accomplish. What was the moment like to see them be drafted, to dominate the top 10 and understand the type of players you were able to help them become, but also the type of young women? I mean, I call myself a dream merchant and that night I was full, like I was full to see their parents, to see their, you know, their siblings. It is what they've talked about um, for as long as I've known them. And there was there were some that I thought one that would I thought should have gone a little bit earlier, but didn't, you know, but she she can handle that. She she's always one that has to work a little bit harder for things, rebuild, and she'll she'll handle her situation. There was one that, you know, wanted to was thinking about transferring last year that that ended up coming back. And I'm just like, you're you're a first rounder. Like there's there's no and it won't be the last year that will determine you being a first round. These the coaches and G, GMs of all professional sports are looking at an entire body of work, and they're looking at you know what your potential is moving forward. And it was the first time ever, I think ever, that someone that came off the bench was was a lottery pick. Yeah, first time ever. So. I mean, and then we got the number one pick. So I, I just think that when, you know, when parents say, I give you my child, I give you my child, and I take that very, very seriously. And it's my job to figure out how I get them to that place on draft night to get drafted. And I take it personally every single day that I coach them. Every single, sometimes I'm not liked by them or their parents because, you know, I make them uncomfortable. It's, it's our job to make them uncomfortable. It's parents' job to 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 help them. And, and, and a lot of times parents, they don't want their their daughters to hurt. Mm -hmm. They don't because they hurt. They grew up. You don't want your, you know, your parents don't want you to grow up like they grew up. So they try to foster getting them in a position of always being comfortable. And I'm just like, nah, like, no, like if you, if you're stinking it up, I'm going to tell you you're stinking it up. Right. But here's how you don't stink it up. Here's how you correct some of the things. Here's how you become a little more efficient. Here's how you you add pro habits to your life every day. Here's, you know, here's how you deal with, you know, having a bad week. It's okay. It's part of your journey to to become great. Like people don't just magically become great. It is the downfalls that that allow them to rise above and and I and that's what happened on you know on draft night they they rose above because of the work that they put in what's the hardest thing to I don't want to say break but like what's the hardest on or off the court when you bring these young ladies in to get them out of so they can be great game cup I would say it's the trust like the tr like trusting trusting the process but you have trust issues I do <laughs> and I understand that yeah, yeah, and I yeah. utilize that to, to help break break down my relationship that I have with, with players. Wow. But I, I've done that through the recruiting process. Like, I am, I'm inclusive. Mm -hmm. Like, if our players have, 
Like one of our players had two or three guys that she used to hang out with, and and those are those were her dudes. And then she got parents, and then she got an agent, and then they want to talk. So I'm like, let's bring your dudes in, let's bring your agent in, let's bring your parents in, let's all sit down and talk. Mm. I want everybody that has your ear a part of this, a part of a part of what we're trying to do, because ultimately. We're trying to do the same things, all of us, all of us in the room. We're, we want you to be successful, but I can't have dudes over here that's saying, you know, coach is wrong and coach, you know, dudes, y'all, y'all ain't never been nowhere though. Y'all, y'all have never done this before, so let's not be supportive, okay? And let's all be in the room. Let's talk about what you believe and how we can get her there. I'm gonna talk about how I think we can get her there. Agent, let's talk about what's needed. Parents, what you need. All of that. So I'm inclusive. So I don't, they don't always want everybody in the same room. But I want that because I need to, I need to know who's in your ear. I, I got to have the biggest, biggest voice. You, me, you and your, me and your parents have to have the biggest voices in your, in your head because we know. We know what it takes to get you there. You had five girls drafted. And um, that's a lot, right? And um Coaching, recruiting, that process is you have, you know, your your own personal life. Um, and the game is evolving, always evolving. Uh, and then eventually they might even start changing some of the rules because of, you know, <laughs> your style of coaching. What's most exciting for you and how excited are you to get back to it with the unknowns? Like you got a big rebuild mm-hmm. job uh, in front of you. So how excited uh, are you for that? Well, I'm super excited because we'll probably play a role in which we'll we'll be hunting rather than being a hunted. So it's a it's a different dynamic. Like we have to build our players up like we I mean, the cupboards aren't bare. Um, they're, They're just not as experienced. They haven't had a lot of time being in that being in that role of getting most of the reps and then. And then having to deal with like like our coaching staff every day, like it's a grind every day to be a starter for us. Like you got to be on. Like as a reserve, you could probably hide behind the starters a little bit and not bring it every day. Um, I mean, we we see them, but we also understand there's a process for them. So I'm excited about the process of getting this team back to the top mm-hmm. um, and figuring out, you know, how, how all of that works. And keeping them at a place where, you know, they are still hungry, but also gaining some experience to where you got to be on every day. And that's a really hard spot. So I'm not going to be liked for for quite some time um, by my team, but I'm okay with that. Right. I'm not here for you to like me. I'm, I'm here. I'm here to be your dream merchant. Right. And to get you where you need to be. I don't know, coach. I feel like everybody likes you. Nah, you you nah. were at the you were at the spring game. Everybody everybody loved you That's at the South spring Carolina. game. You dancing, okay. having a great time. Uh, the women's coaches that you've given a part of the, your yep. championship net to, and then have Coach Barnes win and have all of, of those things. And I mean, there were actual segments just about your gear. You like the Louis Vuitton diva now, <laughs> you know. But I, I do and have a. RC. I, you know the saying, can't hide money. Can't you cannot hide money, <laughs> Coach? Stay clean. But also, Coach, in your dress, not only whether it's Louis or however you dress, uh, representing Yolanda Laney with the Cheney State jersey, or Brittany Griner, and when she was going through being detained in Russia. When it comes to your style and 
kind of the way you interact, which I think is the reason players around the country, when asked, say, yeah, I want to play for Coach Staley because I can relate to those things. Do you put a lot of thought into what you're going to wear on game day or you just um, come out clean? No, I, I put some thought into it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not driven by it. Like, I, I like themes. Like, I like to stick with themes. Um, I like Louis right now. I, I like different stuff. Like, I like, I like to support people in how I dress. Like, the, the Cheney State, Yolanda, she's from Philly. Um, and Coach Stringer's been a, you know, she's been iconic for, yes. for our game. And I had some sweats that, that didn't go with anything besides that jersey, so it just kind of... <laughs> and then I like the support. I like to support um, black designers. Like, I wore um, Rich Fresh. Mm -hmm. um, I, I got a chance to meet him when I did the Aflac commercial, and I'm like, you know, let me, let me, let me put Rich on. Um, because he, you know, to read his story, you know, he was living out his car and, and just needed a shot. Like, I like to hear stories about that. And if I can, if I can push them um, to being successful, I'm going to do that. Eagles jerseys I got. They, they gave me a hard time. Like, you know, people give me a hard time about, you know, wearing what I wear on the sideline. They do. They do because I wore, I wore a couple of Eagles jerseys leading up to the Super Bowl and on Super Bowl um, and I don't wear enough of my, our school colors. Like, it's our fans. Like, we don't wear enough of our school colors. You know, but I think we should just have fun with it. It's, it's an opportunity for us to grow our sport and grow things that are near and dear to us. And I, I'm not, again, I'm not going to stop. I'm, 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 I'm over 50. And once you reach, you know, that platform, you know, your life becomes lean. Stuff doesn't matter. Like, little simple stuff doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm going to be who I am. I'm my mother's child. I didn't like my mother growing up because she had rules. She was strict. <laughs> she was disciplinarian. Um, but now I find myself more like her. And I do attribute my success with being a disciplined person. Chan, I mean, she's talking about being 50. She should probably just call Fred and talk to him about when he was going through it. Yeah, you know, yeah, once yeah. he once he hit fifty. Well, how and... was fifty for you? <laughs> so check this out. So not quite there yet, but I'm I'm sneaking up on it. But we do have stuff in coming. She was the ninth pick in the first round. Y'all might not know number. I know oh, I talk about it all the time. Oh, here oh, don't he worry go. about we it. We got drafted. I love y'all. We got drafted early. But no, uh, Coach. Uh, in, in recent years, you you also spoke about uh, inclusion. You know, underserved uh, minorities in coaching. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I I got an opportunity because somebody saw something in me that I really did not see in myself and in, in being a coach. And if you're in the game long enough, I just finished my 23rd year being a coach. If you're in it long enough, and I, again, I'm a you know loner. I just kind of put my blinders on and I just I just worry about myself. But when you're in it for 23 years. You, you see what, what happens. You know, you see the, you know, the cycle of, of black coaches getting opportunities to, to run their own programs. And they get an opportunity. And if they're successful, they, they'll continue. If they're not, you know, they're forever assistant coaches, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we don't ever get a chance to fail. Right. Again, I think a lot of times it's in the women's game. Like, men recycle. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. They recycle. They get. They get opportunities. Um, I don't probably know as much about. Um, black male coaches getting the opportunity in their space, but I'm sure it's pretty much the same. You know, and even every, in our sport. Yeah, same. NFL, it's hard. It's yeah. really hard. Um, so somebody has to say it. Right. I'm getting more questions regarding that because of where I sit. Like 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I wasn't being asked these questions because we weren't as successful. But now when you become successful, you, you know, you got a platform. Right. And I'm going to shout it. I'ma shout it. We don't get we don't get opportunities because the people who are decision makers aren't black. Right. So I get that too. Cause when I get an opportunity, I'm I'm looking at people that I relate to. And I'm not mad at it. But at some point it, it has to change because we are we are in a space where, you know, there are a lot of black young young people in college and at the in the pros. So all of the above, why, why not give? And it's not that you're giving someone an opportunity, okay, because they've worked for it. It's not like they're sitting on their hands. They've worked. They've been players. They've been coaches for decades, assistant coaches. So give them an opportunity to fail and stick with them. Like, who was it? Is it the Tampa Bay coach? Buccaneers. Uh, yeah, Tom Bowles. Yeah, how many? I mean, how many years he get? This is his first year being there. Uh, it's the Who Houston Texans. The Houston Texans just hired two black men back to back and fired them after one year. Maybe so, you've also or might be talking about Byron too, being the offensive coordinator for for the year after the Super Bowl. He got fired. Leftwich. Like why? So I I do think we need to bring stuff to the forefront and ask the unque uncomfortable questions. I, I don't think we're going to get the answers. But if we if we talk about it enough, it's possible that we get the answers right. as to why we don't get as many opportunities. So I'm gonna scream it to the top of my lungs until until it changes. Or or furthermore, I'm gonna mentor because I do a lot of mentoring, a a lot, like a ton of it. And that's the way we have to help them navigate. So they're ready. They're ready for when the opportunity comes. You have an opportunity to talk to Tina before she took the job at your oh, oh alma mater. Tina Thompson? A little bit. I had an opportunity to talk to the AD. Okay. That was the time that I turned it down. Cause I, I, you know, she came after me for that position. And then she had some names and Tina was one of them. Hey, cause we know, we, we know you, you short on time. We're going to let you go. You might have an appointment at the Louis store. But what <laughs> 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 time they open around here. <laughs> but, but no, just listening to you. And it's funny that Champ came in here. Mm -hmm. Cause when talking about off the court, only thing you re you reveal to people is you have a dog named Champ. Uh -huh. Then you said none of your trophies at your house. Is is that all strategic? Do you not? It's funny. I asked Stephen A. Smith the same thing, and he told me, "Fly, that's none of your damn business." <laughs> you purposely keep your personal life super personal. I mean, I don't really do anything. <laughs> like I don't do like I but don't do anything. You vacation? I'm sure you know significant sometimes, others. Something. Sometimes. Hobbies. No, I don't. I like I, I I live a real simplistic life. Like right, like the reason why I was late coming here. <laughs> I was at the courthouse looking at a, a murder trial. 
like just in attendance. I'm looking at the witnesses and um, like, and it got good. Right when I had to come here, like it got Coach. real good. Coach, and I'm like, you I hang hope, at I the hope, courthouse. I know the judge. <laughs> like I enjoy that. Yeah, I enjoy. I'm a little morbid when it comes to stuff like, like, like that, like forensic files and trials and all of that stuff. I'm, I'm really into that. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So, so, so but most people here? watch like Lifetime yeah. or they watch True no. Crimes. Not many people actually go to the court cases though. Yeah, it's, it's a new experience for me. Like, it's a new, like, I, you know, I watched, y'all, were y'all tuned into the Murdoch case? I was. Yeah. So the, the judge that presided, Judge Newman, is presiding over this murder case. So I, he told me there was a murder case coming up. I'm like, where? Right up the street? I was like, I'm there. I'm there. I'm going to be there after our workout. We got a little workout that we got to get in, and I'm going back. Coach, don't go distracting people trying to get that man off of murder. Uh, huh? If I'm trying to, if I'm if I'm arguing and I see Coach Staley, I'm not arguing as good anymore. <laughs> like, damn, that's Coach over there. I mean, I, I did ask the judge if I if I would be a distraction. Oh, okay. And then I did sit on the defense side, right? And I'm like, does it look like I'm supporting? Like, <laughs> I, I had all these questions, like, and then I'm just like looking at the jury, I'm thinking. You know, please don't let me be a distraction, cause I I just want to I just want to hear, like I want to. It's it's like it's strategy. Mm -hmm. So I'm 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 interested in the strategy, and it was cool though, cause this dude was like he had a good question. He, the jury wasn't there. He was like, Judge, I can't even see the monitor. Like there was a there's a monitor that just faced the jury, and I'm sitting behind him, and he can't see what they're talking about. So. They went into these arguments, and then they actually got another monitor that I could see today. Like, I saw the, I saw everything that was happening. I'm just, like, just stimulated. Like, I'm like, but I'm like, I got to leave. I got to. Appreciate that. We appreciate the but it, It's cool, though. It's like that. Yeah, I get a rise out of that. Like, I'm. The weirdest hobby I've ever heard right, in my right. life. <laughs> you said I needed a hobby. Right. I ain't taking up that one. I'm gonna get no him about hobbies, but you good, Arthur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't do that. Coach, I don't know if you've ever met Mike Tomlin. I haven't. I've watched him a lot. But if you <laughs> I would pay good money to sit and watch you two just have a conversation about coaching and leadership. You mentioned that people look at you because of the place that you sit. It's not because you sit there and you haven't earned it. You've earned that spot. But he has a saying that he always said when we played together or when, I, when he coached me, the standard is the standard. You have now become the standard. And from The Pivot and from everybody who watches our show, thank you so much for the time. I'm glad you were able to yeah. leave the court case, but best of luck to you. And I'm just the pivot. Gonna... The pivot is a great, it's a great name, cause we all got to pivot. Yes. We we all like I got to pivot right now. We lost. I got to pivot. I always I always talk about pivoting, pivoting. I I talk the the sometimes the decision makers of our game, women's basketball, need to pivot. Because they stick with the same narrative all the time, even when it doesn't fit. So pivoting is a cool, cool-ass title that, that we all, every single person has to do in their lives. Coach, we always uh, include our, our slogan is accept, 
adjust and move forward. That's what it is. So appreciate your time. Well, I'm going to be really honest here, Coach. My dad, right, the first women's basketball player my dad ever pointed out to me was you. And Channing likes my dad more than he likes me, <laughs> right? And he said, he's like, like that's, that's what playing point guard is. And then I became a huge fan of yours through watching you coach and all of those things. And so I'm going to be honest. The final four game against Iowa was the tough one for me. Mm-hmm. Because as a fan of Dawn Staley and your team, I was rooting for you in my heart somewhere down there. But in my mind... As an LSU alone, uh-huh. I, I said, if, I said, if we play them again, they're going to beat us by 20. <laughs> <laughs> and, when the, hey, and when the buzzer went off, I said, so you saying we got a chance. <laughs> but thank you so I much. I can dig that. I can dig that. I can dig that. I appreciate that. you, Coach. I can dig that. Yeah, I was like, man, we in there. We usually, um, I know I try to rap a few really, times. Uh-huh. And we usually ask everyone, what's their biggest pivot in life? My biggest pivot? Like, I'm at my best when I was at my worst. Like, I think I was at my worst because we didn't win the national championship. Like, now, like... It's kind of like a reset. It, it is. It is. Especially when people don't think, you know, that we're going to be where we where, where we were. So, yeah, that's it. I heard something. I saw something. But you, the way you break football down, you make me think I know what I'm talking about. Oh, congratulations. Like, you break it down. Now, I couldn't repeat it, but I understand it when you're saying it. Thank you. Yes. I appreciate Seriously. that. Seriously. Yes. I'm, I'm, I was about to ask you another question, though. Coach, you said in, was it 96 when you got the gold medal? Yeah. You're supposed, supposed to go hoop, right? Right right after ABL or something like mm-hmm. that? Yeah. I read somewhere you told somebody that was your lowest point after winning I, a, I was, a gold medal. Like, I didn't even know. I, I, my body, was, I mean, my head was in a different place because I got my, my lifelong dream. And I'm just like, okay, like, all right, I got it. Like, what is el- what else is there to get? And it took me a while to just kind of decompress. I th- I think I was a little depressed, and I and that's not something that that that's something that I don't you know I don't really say out loud, but I did I couldn't I could not function. Like I could not I I didn't know I didn't want to pick up a basketball. I didn't want to play. I wasn't competitive, and I think I just needed to decompress because like two weeks later I was back at it. But the moment that I got the gold medal, I'm just like, okay, what, what else is, I got my lifelong dream. That's crazy. Yeah. Mike P told me to tell you what's up. Mike P. Mike Peterson. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know Mike. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. He's in in Florida now. Yeah. He's back at, back at home in Gainesville. He's back at home. Yeah. Yeah, I told him we were here. He's like, oh, she a real one boy. You know what I said? Yeah. Yeah. Well, appreciate it, Coach. Thank you. Good luck. Yeah. Thank y'all. And appreciate my wife, it. my wife don't even watch sports. Really? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to South Carolina. She said, who? I said, don't say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got the tell same thing at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to tell her. Tell her I She know exactly who we talking about. Yeah, I'm going to tell her. Hold up. Limitless. Take a stomach cap, pin in it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. Uh, on a mission, get me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. Uh, on this vision, I can trust. Uh, trust. Uh, limitless. Think it's still me, can't pin in it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. Uh, on a mission, get me up.